0: Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode comes from our event with Jules Williamson, director of the award-winning Off the Rails. Jules was joined in conversation by fellow director Susanna White. Together, they discuss the experiences Jules bought into making Off the Rails, the process of directing her debut feature, and what she'll take from it into her next directing role. We hope you enjoy.
1: Great. Well, it's a great pleasure for me to talk to you, Jules, because you and I have got a bit of history on this film, which we we will come to shortly. Um, But for those people who've just um, watched it, maybe maybe you can just tell us a bit about where the idea came from, because it's a very personal story, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is, it is. Um, So I went into Rayleigh when I was 19 with... Um, three friends who have remained my best friends, so we're like, essentially like sisters, and um, we decided when we came back, we'd do it again, when we were 40, and um, I had made a short film, my first short film to two, which um, had done well, it had been nominated for a BAFTA, it had won the Palm Springs Film Festival, and I was thinking about, obviously, as I was making the short film, I was thinking about what I would like to do as a feature. And I had two ideas. One was a a war film and one was this, uh, this film off the rails. But um, I went into a number of meetings afterwards and pitched the idea. And the, the, the issue seemed to be that nobody was really interested in making a film about women in their 40s. So what I had thought was it's an interesting premise because... These women would have changed. Their friendships would have changed. Their lives will not be necessarily what they expected them to be. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting uh, territory to explore.
1: Just to give some context, how long ago? What point was that then, Jules? When you first had that thought after you'd met, after you'd um, after you'd won the Palm Springs Film Festival, and you well,
0: have- um, it was nineteen years ago. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> sorry, I should have put that into context. It's a long time ago. Right. Um, and, um, at that time, you know, there weren't that many uh, female-centred films. And there were films like Bridget Jones, of course, which I love. But that was a film about a young woman as opposed to a woman in her 40s. And um, as, I, as I may not have said, the decision that we had all made was to go on this journey when we were 40, and I was in my mid-30s at the time and I thought oh, that'd be really interesting to make a film about women in their 40s and um, over that period of time over that 19 years I carried on sort of seeing evidence that the film could happen whether it was um, Blue Jasmine when Kate Blanchett won her Oscar and talked about how women's films didn't need to be niche and that the industry needed to wake up to the fact that they were you know profitable and um, or Alexander Payne Sideways, which I love, um, but you know, kind of spurred me on even more because obviously, you know, that's about men in middle age, and um, and then obviously Mamma Mia, you know, that had a, had a great deal of success, uh, for a female. I never let go of wanting to make the film, and um, a little bit more backstory about it. I had a great friend who died and she uh, that had a very profound effect on me. So I wanted that to be part of the story. And in fact, her daughter is my goddaughter, which is how that aspect of the story came into it. Um,
1: so things shifted, didn't they? You tried to get it going early on. Nobody wanted films about women in middle age, despite that being probably a large proportion of the cinema audience. Um, So what made you keep going on it? Did something shift or was this just a film inside you that needed to come
0: out? It was both. I'd never given up on the story. So we had my friend Arabella Page Croft, who was the producer. We had written an outline and we had uh, obviously fully developed the characters. So we took, she took this idea to Bill Kenwright and he, he, immediately got it. He loved it. Um, and like I said, you know, quite a lot had happened in the interim to show that there was an appetite for this kind of film. Um, so as a, as a producer, he got it, but also on a personal level, he just completely fell in love with it. Um, and so we started developing it and Bill brought on a writer. So uh, there was a screenplay written by a young man, in fact, who'd written a play about two women in midlife he'd been brought up by uh, two women and he uh, had a really very good insight to to women at that that time of their lives and he's very funny he's very witty and he's much wittier than i am so you know he was he was a good he was definitely a really good person to bring on to it and um so bill bill's office developed the screenplay and there was a moment,
1: wasn't there, Jules, where you came to me and said, I've struggled for a very long time to get this film made.
0: I think part of the issue was that it was, um, because it's a film about interrailing, it's European travel, the film was sort of falling between two stools with a budget. So it was either going to be very, very low budget which isn't really the film he wanted to make, or it potentially could have been a very high budget. And I think that was one of the things we talked about, wasn't it, that if I wasn't careful, the film may not get made because they couldn't see, the production um, company couldn't see a way round making the film without going to all these different countries. And obviously with four actors um, and you know people with names, that could be very expensive. So that was the other that and there was this moment there was this moment where it looked like it could just all just drift away.
1: You came up with a brilliant solution, so let's talk a bit about what that practical solution was
0: well it was quite it was quite interesting. I was thinking about this earlier today because um I was actually at a Christmas party and I was having a a drink and I think I was having a cigarette outside with somebody, as you do. And he is a producer and he was saying to me, the thing is, Jules, nobody is going to want to make this film as much as you. You know, whether it's your first film, your second film, your third film, you're the director and it's your story. And you've got to come up with a way to make that work. And I remember waking up the next morning and I, I... I saw a photograph of Majorca on a, <laughs> a Guardian Escapes email that was sent. I was kind of looking through it, thinking, you know, looking at holidays as you do, thinking, oh, that'd be lovely to go. And um, it, was a, it was in the middle of Mallorca. And I thought that could easily be rural Italy. And I know Mallorca very well because I used to go as a child. And then, ironically, Emma, the friend who died, she had sort of reintroduced me to it as an adult. Uh, and I'd gone with all my interel friends uh, many times. So there was this kind of lovely backdrop to it as well. And uh and I know that Palmer could, I knew it could stand in for Paris, I knew it could stand in for Barcelona, I, I knew obviously we could do Spain there. And um, so I phoned Palmer Pictures, who had um they've done many things. I did the night manager uh, and in Mallorca and spoke to uh uh trent um one of the heads there and basically says this is what i'm thinking of what do you reckon and he said no problem at all we have lots of commercials coming over here doing the same thing come for a recce so i spoke to um Sarah Selleck, one of the other producers at Bill's office, and she and Arabella and I, uh, and the then line producer, all went out on a recce, which was lovely. And, uh, you know, it was just very clear that we could we could do it and it would be no problem. So it, it, it became a manageable budget and one, you know, realistically for a first-time director that people weren't too scared of. It was about three and a half million, uh, which, you know, is still sizable, I guess, for a first film, but people weren't worried about it. But yeah, I mean, you were you were amazing because um, not only did you come on board and exec it, but, you know, it was the fact that you said you had to make this film, you, you had to make it. This is a great story and it's your story. Um, and that faith and confidence and belief was exactly what I needed at that moment. Well,
1: so, yeah. I could see your passion and, and I just thought, my. Goodness, you so deserved to make the film, um, and you had every right to make the film. So I'm, I'm just very proud and delighted that it, it all happened. And um, so, so let's um, talk a bit about um, the casting. W- was there pressure on you to cast um, a certain type of actor? What, how did, did that, how did that process work?
0: Well. I mean, you know, Bill, Bill was the producer and, um, you know, it was that kind of film where he was going to make those decisions ultimately. Um, but I, to be honest, I was extremely happy with the cast. I was very happy. And uh, in fact, you cast Lizzie, didn't you? You, because <laughs> <the author. laughs> when we got the green light, everything happened so fast. Um and I couldn't get back to caster because this wasn't time, and you very kindly stepped in and uh and casted, which is great
1: i I had a lovely afternoon trying out girls. It's actually it was great fun without the pressure of directing the film myself getting getting to work with some new actors um yeah and, and bill is is brilliant in that he's got incredible contacts, isn't he, so he can pick amazing. up to lots of people. And, yeah, It Um, wasn't sort of like I would associate casting a film because it was more like Bill, like thinking of which names we wanted and Bill's address book in a way, wasn't it? There wasn't a formal process of a casting director bringing people in, and maybe for the young girls there was. I can't quite remember how that bit worked. Had it, yeah, there must have been a casting director for them.
0: There was, yeah, there was for that. But, um, yes, it was more to do with approaches, your agents and conversations and, yeah. and thoughts. But I think, you know, I was delighted with the casting because everybody was so different and um, they all fitted the characters brilliantly and they all brought a very different acting style, a very different kind of presence to, to the film and I think that that was incredibly useful the way that everybody kind of bounced off each other um, and we had a, we had an incredibly short uh, rehearsal time we literally met for dinner uh, in Majorca, and then the next day we sat and read through the script and that was pretty much it but there's lots of conversation during that during that period about you know um uh, they wanted to know a lot about the, the story, the real story, and I think that kind of helps uh, them invest in it a lot. Um, so it kind of evolved, you know, the the, uh, the relationship between them knitted together very quickly. I was going to say you're very good with actors because
1: not everybody realises but you have got a background in acting yourself, haven't you? Maybe you could just talk a little bit about
0: that. Yes, I went to drama school for three years and uh, trained as an actress. And um, having thought that I wanted to do that most of my life, I did kind of float a bit with the idea of stage management. And I went to Rada for an interview, and then they said, no, no, you should go, you should be auditioning for the acting course. So, anyway, ironically, I'd come out of drama school, I had six months doing uh, fringe plays. And then there was a film being made in Newcastle, Stormy Monday which is Mike Figgis's first film. And it was quite a big deal. It had big stars like Tommy Lee Jones and Melanie Griffiths and Sting and, um, and Sean Bean's first role. And I got, I landed the job as a floor runner. So, you know, that was amazing. And as uh, very quickly, uh, I realized that's, that was the side of the, the camera I wanted to be on. And, uh, mm. I just felt, you know, uh, that I, I, it fitted. It worked with me. But the, the lovely thing was that I got all the experience of acting and actors. So, you know, when I carried on being a runner, I wasn't particularly, um, you know, intimidated by big names. I uh, felt fairly at home with 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 uh, with actors all the way through. So when it came to four actors that were on set and on camera nearly all the time. Um, it was, it was okay. I wasn't really fazed by it. But like I said, I, I loved the different styles and approaches they all had. And when Sally came on, I kind of knew that was going to be a game changer because I knew that she would be up for improvising and shaking things up a bit. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. So I was thrilled to bits. And um, so where we could, we would go off piece and we would improvise. And there were some... Honestly, it's magical moments. Unfortunately, there was quite early on uh, when they were in the hostel. We um, really got into quite a lot of improvising, and it did feel like the film was taking off into quite a different shape. So, you know, you have to balance as a director what you're being asked to deliver and what your style is. So. Where I could, I would bring in some improvisation where i where where it was appropriate and um and I think that the fact that the schedule was so fast as well because we were doing we had we shot over thirty eight locations in twenty six days in four different countries, so that is fast, yeah. but in a way it was it, because it was a journey we were moving all the time, and nearly all, nearly always the location was real you know we never had any sets. Um, we and we were on trains and we were on, you know, boats, all, everything. Um, there was an energy and a momentum, and that really helped it. And actually, I didn't spend that long on scenes because I knew when I'd got, I knew when I got it, and I'd move on. But I try and create the space for the actors to find their reality and their, um, you know, their truth, if you like, and, and to play. But once I felt they'd got it and we'd got it, I, uh, like I said, I moved on quite fast. And I think that was good with them because uh, it kept everybody very focused. Um, And I think the temptation possibly, having never had the luxury of having a big, long schedule, might be to do a lot of takes. And I'm not sure that's always the right way to go, personally. Um, I think um, I, I can imagine it, I can imagine it pisses actors off sometimes, to be honest. So uh anyway, I didn't know about that too, and it worked fine. It was great.
1: So how did you prepare? Did you storyboard? Did you you had a trusted collaborator
0: shooting for you? you? <laughs> I did, I did. And uh your trusted collaborator too, the very, very wonderful Mike Ely. And um, so he and I'd worked together uh doing a drama documentary um, shortly after I did my first short in uh, Africa and we got on brilliantly. And of course, you know, he comes from documentaries like myself. So, and like, like, like you do. So we, you know, we were very um, in tune with each other. And he said, if you make that film, I'll come and shoot it for you. So it was always this agreement. So there was my life, which was fabulous. And, um, He said to me, don't plan it too much. He said, you've got a really good instinct and trust your instinct because things will just happen. Things will happen that you never expected. And uh, he said he thought the way to approach it, particularly because there were four actors, was to keep it slightly freewheeling. And, um, you know, obviously there were certain things that we did shortlist, uh, but in the main, it was, it was pretty on the fly. We had decided quite early on that we would um, go with a kind of obstop stop feel where we could. And then we would go with kind of big cinematic vistas and let the scenes play out in them in a more kind of classical way. Um, but I was very keen to have those big vistas those big widescreen frames and I think you know we got some beautiful beautiful scenes out there um, but I did love those moments where for example we were on the train a wooden train in New um, which was supposed to be the Italian train and uh, we just kept rolling uh, at the end of one of the scenes and we got so many beautiful shots and of the actresses and then we cut it together as a montage. And I love that because that's very me. That's very much my kind of thing. And it, it gave the, it gave the film room to breathe. It gave time for the audience just to sit with those characters and just see them being, uh, which, which, which it needed, you know, it needed. uh, uh, So I love that. And other moments where, for example, after the argument scene and the montage, we uh cut to picture this when it all slows down and jenny comes back into the station which i always feel looks a bit like a western that shot i love that moment when she comes back in and then she sits down next to sally and that was a very quiet moment after all the mayhem and it did actually we did actually have two cameras matt pointer was on b camera he was brilliant um But what was so lovely was, so I ended up working with Matt on that and it was just about shifting focus. It was just about throwing the focus between a deep two shot, profile two shot. And that was all the scene was about them, you know, having this discussion about why they fell out, uh, you know, what the relationship had been um, and, you know, moving on. Uh, And it it was very, very simple. So I, I... much as I love the experience of shooting with your cameras, and I know that's what I will do, you know, many times in the future, and I'm totally up for that, um, I like that combination of also having the opportunity to be more intimate with the actors and with um, with the camera. And I'm I'm quite a hands-on person. I, you know, I obviously watch the monitor, but then I'll get get up or, or move away from the monitor, and I'll be there talking to the actors, and, you know, be writing amongst it. And I think that's another reason why we became such a, a gang, because we, we, we really did become like a little gang. And we still have a WhatsApp group, we're still very close. And uh, we're all meeting up next month. But of course, you know, the tragedy is that Kelly's not with us anymore. And uh, so because we had become such good friends, you know, the, the, we were really devastated, devastated when she, when she died.
1: Did you have any idea how ill she was when you were shooting her?
0: No idea. No, I had no idea. She looks radiant in the film, doesn't she? She does. Yeah, she really does. I mean, we, Arabella and I, were, you know, we often just kind of gazed at her, saying, "Gosh, she's you know, she's so beautiful. What, how does she do it? You know, she'd be sort of sitting there without any makeup on at all, looking absolutely glorious." Um, but no, I, we had we didn't know and. Um, uh you know bill bill did know but she and bill had obviously for their own reasons decided not to not to say anything and i think that you know what's so moving is that obviously the film really spoke to her the story really spoke to her she has her own daughter of the same age and um so i think she was really remarkable to have been there and got through that with with the knowledge that she had and with the the you know the personal backstory that she had that she you know she never shared with anybody but she it was amazing to work with her because she really was a movie star very charismatic and she brought all that to the set but so you had this kind of movie star this um and, and then you had jenny's background of Of theatre and film and television and Sally's background of comedy and film and television and they're all so different but it was a great leveller and uh so you know we were always laughing and very often crying but it was crying because of the emotion of the of the story but um Kelly brought so much fun to it she would come on set and the, the, literally the set would light up. The crew would light up. They all loved her. She was always having a laugh. and But very witty, very, very witty. And um, just very caring, very, very caring woman. But she, oh, she was, she was just fabulous. Absolutely amazing. One, oh, no,
1: absolutely wonderful. And I remember so clearly that Leicester Square premiere. You, you had the most grand Leicester Square premiere, didn't you? Um, it was. Uh, COVID times. And I remember Bill saying to me, I promised Kelly this film would open in Leicester Square. And that dream came true. Um, so and, and you all had your Kelly necklaces, didn't you,
0: We did, we did. And I I I said then um that it and and the interviews that I did on on the day and around that time that she would have wanted it to have been a celebration of her. And, you know, as much as the film is, I think, about uh, grief, but also it's also about hope. And so it, it, she would have wanted the film to be a celebration uh, of all the things that it celebrates, but uh, but obviously she, she it was her last film and she would have wanted people to have come out feeling optimistic and positive and she very much subscribed to what I wanted, which was the film to be about new beginnings Mm -hmm. and that message of new beginnings. And of course, you know, they, the actors and myself, you know, we're all in midlife. We're all very conscious of how society can sideline women at this age. And so she really um, felt very strongly about getting that message across and, um, so I think it does, I think it does her proud in, in that respect, um, very much. So and John Travolta actually gave a a very nice message when it was released um, on Instagram and Twitter. And he said how proud she had been to have worked on it and you know how how uh close and fond she was of all the people that she'd worked with. So that was that was really very nice and I'm a huge Cameron Crowe fan huge Cameron Crowe fan so to be working with her and we talked a lot about Cameron Crowe and uh you know she said well very nicely once said I was I reminded her a little bit because I suppose because I'm quite open and I love music and you know I don't know anyway it was it was one of the greatest compliments that you could I could get um
1: picking up on the music tell us about Blondie how did that happen how did that come about the use of blondie so?
0: well um bill's a big muso and we talked about the big chill and the soundtrack and i uh had also talked about how i'd love uh blondie to to be part of that soundtrack and that i'd wanted um anna to have wanted to be debbie harry because she'd always been a bit of a heroine of mine and uh so he didn't really know Blondie but then uh listened to to you know many tracks and we had this extraordinary conversation in fact it was when we had a cup of tea in Marylebone High Street and I was going off to have a this kind of make or break meeting this is a few months quite a while after our BAFTA chat and uh so you you know you kind of saw me on my way and I arrived and there was A lot of tension because it was it was a kind of make or break moment, and uh, uh everyone was saying, Oh, good luck, good luck in the meeting. And uh, so he said, Um, so I've been thinking about this, he's talked about many things, but he said, I was thinking about the soundtrack, and uh, what about a blondie soundtrack? And I, I just thought, I, c- I couldn't believe it really, it was amazing. I said, Well, absolutely fantastic. And he had he worked tirelessly to get that really take my hat off to him and he worked tirelessly to get us the screens. you know i mean we had 300 screens it came out in in the uk amazing it's a huge huge number of screens it's a huge number and um it's about to go in australia um in 300 screens but obviously it's a much bigger country um but his passion for the film um is and has been you know um really really wonderful and you know i'm i'm very, very grateful for that.
1: I'd just love to dig a bit um, into the documentary aspects of the film because you um, you went off and shot some documentary footage, didn't you, as part of this journey. Maybe you can tell us a bit about that.
0: Yes. Um, well, the film is, as everybody will realise, about the Light of God Festival. And um, we were going out in January to prep, And so I very much wanted to film the real festival. And in fact, so we did, we went and we had um, a documentary uh, set up. We had two, we did have two cameras. Um, we weren't allowed to film, take the actors in uh, and film them. So we knew that. So we, we went in to see if we could get shots. but. It, so I'm I'm in, like you, you know, come from that background. And it's interesting because I've done drama doc, but rather than reconstructing scenes or directing drama to go into the drama doc, this time I was actually doing the opposite. I was pulling in documentary that we shot to to go into the drama. And I love that. I, I, I love that turnaround. And um, I think, you know, also the stories I'm interested in always have, nearly always have some sort of... Uh, Factual base behind them, or you know, some some element of some element of that, it always kind of grabs me. So I hope I can do that again in the future. So,
1: so, Jules, what 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 next? And what would you like to do
0: next? Where are you working on um, new ideas? And- well, you know, interestingly, the the, the film was uh, also quite a pragmatic. Uh, move on my part to if you like, um take my career to the point that I'd I'd wanted it to be, uh, I guess, you know, 19 years ago. And I uh it's quite interesting because I think, you know, you do reach a certain age and even your contemporaries kind of think, oh well, obviously they're not they're not really wanting to direct films anymore or um or go into high end uh, TV drama or, and, I, and and it it kind of made me even more determined that that is actually what I was going to do. So it's been a lot made of the fact that I made this film, it's my first film and I'm in my 50s, and but it never occurred to me that I wouldn't be able to do that or that that should be a hindrance or there'd be an obstacle. I, it never occurred to me. And, you know, like I was saying, the film is about new beginnings. It's very much a new beginning for me. I think, you know, um, I think I said in my interview for Directors UK, Lizzie Frankie, interestingly, was talking about how new voices aren't just young voices. And I think that applies to men and women. You know, there's a lot of, lot of men and women who are directors who um, could all want to do exactly what I've done. And there's no reason why that shouldn't happen. None whatsoever. And um, I do think that, you know, if you really have the tenacity and believe in something, you can do that. So, essentially in answer to your question. I hope very much to do some really good quality um, TV. And I'm developing a TV series of my own, uh, which is set in the Northeast. And I'm also um, developing another film, uh, which is it's not a big budget film, but it's it's a film very close to my heart, again, set in New Yorker. So yes, those are my my goals. Well,
1: Jules, you're the greatest lesson in tenacity, which is one of the uh, most important qualities in a director, I think. Um, And um, you're an inspiration. So thank you so much for for talking to us tonight. Um, It's been a, a real pleasure.
0: Thank you, Susanna, because I don't know what would happen without you. <laughs> so it seems very fitting that we're, you know, we're here together talking about it. Thank you. Well,
1: we're stronger together, as the, as the motto of Directors
0: UK says. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favourite podcatcher. Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.